going to talk to you this morning, going to open up the Word of God with you from uh, John chapter 9, and um, I have entitled this sermon, The Work of God, A Comparison Between Organized Religion and Christ-Centered Ministry. And so we see in this chapter, a very familiar passage, I believe, um, Christ healing the blind man. And But as we work our way through this passage, I think there are some things that tend to a kind of bubble to the top that we need to take notice and we need to remember. Look with me here in John chapter 9, verse 1. This is a long chapter, so we're going to kind of work our way through it. And I will pause to give um, some um, explanation about different things. But John chapter 9, verse 1 says, As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Heavenly Father, we want to pause there just for a moment and to say thank you that your precious Son, Jesus Christ, gave of himself in such a way that not only did he humble himself to become a man, that he ministered amongst us and that he made these tremendous claims that we must never forget. We thank you, Lord, that he is the light and his light is represented today in this earth. And so we say thank you for that. Help us to realize what that means and to apply that to our lives, to give of ourselves to Jesus Christ and to the church. I would pray, Father, that um, that this morning that you would just help me to communicate your truth. We thank you that you are the God of light and truth and that we can hold the truth, that we can know the mind of Christ. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit that is alive and active and working within us. We ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would have free course within our lives this morning to convict us of sin, of righteousness, and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for all that you have done. We ask, Father, that today you might receive all the honor and the praise and the glory, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus, and we open up this passage, is um, takes time to stop and pause and to see this blind person uh, on the way. And, and actually, his, his disciples, I guess we can credit for getting... Uh, his attention because they're the ones that say who sinned this man or his parents and so Jesus takes a moment to teach them and it's interesting that he does this at this point in time because John chapter 9 and the heels of John chapter 8 is a very uh, divisive chapter where Jesus is confronting the Pharisees and it says there at the end of chapter 8 that he's leaving the temple area and he's fleeing in one sense for his life. Obviously we know that he's not fleeing because he's scared but Jesus gets out of there because his time had not yet come where he would give his life as a sacrifice to all mankind. And so um, I don't know about you but if you were leaving, fleeing for your life I don't think I would be stopping because I don't think Jesus got too far away where he's already ministering to somebody else. And so the, 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 they must have been far enough away that the disciples seemed to think it was okay to maybe take a breath. And so they ask him this question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus uses this opportunity to not only teach 
uh, his disciples, but also that God's glory would be revealed through this individual. And so there's a couple of points that I want to share with you this morning in the form of a question. The first question is this. Why must we follow Christ? That's the first thing that I want to present, and I believe that the text shows us why we must follow Christ. The text will answer that question. And then the second point, the main point, is what is Christ-centered ministry? Why we must follow Christ, and then what is Christ-centered ministry? What does it look like? Does Jesus give us an example that we can follow? And I believe, again, the text does answer that question, and so we'll see that uh, as we move forward. Well, right away, we see that, to go back to the first point, why we must follow Christ. We must follow Christ because good intentions don't always mean good theology. And the disciples kind of slip up here a little bit because they kind of expose faulty thinking. And that is what Jesus is addressing here right away when they ask the question, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind, assuming that the reason why he was born blind was what? Somebody had done something wrong in the past, and so therefore he was zapped. God got him, okay? Now, I bet if we're honest, we can fall prey to that type of thinking. Now, does God punish sin? Yes, he does. God does punish sin, but do we always know how God is working in in an individual's life? Or do we always know the circumstances behind that person's life? No, we do not. And that's where we have to give pause and recognize that there is the God of the universe that is working in ways so tremendous that we cannot begin to fathom that. And so Jesus answers in verse 3, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Good intentions do not always mean good theology. Christ helps to correct our worldview. Why must we follow Christ? Because there is only one correct worldview, only one way to understand the chaos that is going on around us, and that is if we follow Christ. Christ will make you more intelligent, more wise to discern your life, and so that is why we must follow Christ. Even sincere followers will not always think correctly about the truth of the world system. What is it that we as believers understand about this world? Well, in Hebrews chapter 2, there's just a couple of things that I took out of there. I happen to be reading that just as a corollary passage. Hebrews chapter 2 talks about, and and other parts of the Bible say this, but everything is under the control of Christ. Colossians chapter 1 says that as well. Number two, all things exist for Christ and by Christ. Again, Colossians 1, Hebrews 2 say that. These are some of the truths that we understand. Hebrews chapter 2 also says that at present, we do not see all things subject to Christ. They will be, and they are in one sense, and God's God's, um, will, he allows things to happen, his sovereign will, But at present, Christ is not reigning physically in this world, but yet we know that that is his rightful position and that will come true one day. And so we have to think about this world in those terms. So obviously there's going to be things that are happening around us. Death, we just heard about that this morning in the prayer request. Loved ones going home to be with the Lord. Unexpected uh, tragedy, illness, 
Um, one of the things that we answer in Ikike when we're working with people that don't know God, uh, how could a loving God allow this to happen? Well, that is a tough question, but if someone is willing to listen, there's a wonderful explanation. The Bible answers that question. Only the Christian worldview can answer that question. So we stand on truth and confidence. And so those are just some of the things that why we must follow Christ because Christ helps to correct our worldview. Christ points us to the truth. So often we are... Uh, deceived by the system of this world. The things that are going into our mind uh, eventually can take root, can take hold, and before we know it, we're saying things, perhaps, or even thinking things, that if we take pause, we think, well, how did that ever? how did I ever think about that? Well, it's because we're being bombarded every day, so we must follow Christ as kind of the filter of our lives. The Word of God will illuminate our minds to tell us what is truth and what is error. Uh, this world is governed by an invisible spiritual God. We cannot always see and understand or know what God is orchestrating to accomplish his plans and purposes. But Christ says that this man here was going to be used by God to display God's glory. And so we see that the pursuit, why must we follow Christ? Because the pursuit of God's glory pushes past our limited understanding. As humans limited to the finite understanding, we must not be too hasty to diagnose of what we see in this world as truth. Just crazy stuff going on all around us. One of the things that I like to do recently is um, I have become involved with just catching my news via Twitter, and so I'm kind of scrolling through what's going on um, in the world, in our country, and it doesn't take very long. That, that can kind of depress you, and you're not, not a lot of good news out there. Um, you know, but, but that is a reminder that God is in control. He has things under control, and we need to be, we need to realize that uh, he has a plan. And so Jesus says, we must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And what Jesus does here is, is he just performs what I would term a simple miracle using simple elements. He uses mud in his own spit, makes mud, puts it on the, this gentleman's eyes, and tells them to go wash. The man obeys in obedience and faith and does that. And what happens? His sight is restored. And so verse uh, 7 says, And Jesus said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and came back what? Came back seen. <clears throat> we see here that did this man sin in his past? Did his parents sin in the past? No. Jesus wanted to, God wanted to use this individual at that point in time through his infirmity and his ailment so that God would get the glory. Now, on an individual basis, I hope that that brings um, hope into your life. I, I pray that that brings hope into your life because individually, that ought to turn whatever we see happening around us right on its ear. If you're struggling right now in your life, jobs, family, uh, health, whatever it may be, 
It's not that God is afflicting you, but that God's love and grace and mercy is upon your life and He wants to use that very circumstance so that His glory may be evident in this world. Have you ever thought about that? That takes everything that we ever come in contact with and just changes it. Not only that, but corporately, what does Christ say there in verse 5? As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. There is where the church is. Why? Where is Christ represented today? In the local church. You folks not only are called by God individually, but as you come together corporately, you have a high calling to be light in this community in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. This is your calling. And this is what, and as you, you folks represent Jesus Christ in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, at the doorstep, as I said earlier, at Central Michigan University, this is your calling. This is, by, by mere geography, what God has designed for you. With confidence, I can say that because I've seen that happen in the past. I'm a product of, of this ministry. And so we see here that God has a plan and a purpose for all things. So that is why we must follow Christ because we don't see everything that God is doing, but when we follow Christ, we know that, that Christ will lead us into all truth and that we will, uh, we will walk away from or avoid error and then that God will begin to reveal His will and He is glorified through that and we are blessed because of that. Well, we need to move on. That's, that's the first part of the story. And you know what? I really want to skip over the middle part. The middle part's kind of the, kind of gets a little, a little rough, I guess you could say. But let's, let's skip to the last part of the story because there is another miracle that takes place here. So the individual is uh, healed. This, this man is healed. And there's a process that goes on. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But eventually Christ comes back to this individual because this man is thrown out of the synagogue, if you will. He has basically lost his religious identification. The Pharisees treat him very rough. And so in verse 30, Jesus says to the, to the man, comes back to the man, or I should say in verse um, 30, uh, uh, 36, Jesus, or 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, meaning the synagogue. Having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, it's interesting that Jesus took the time to heal this individual, but Jesus also stuck around and went back to him, I'm sure when he's feeling quite low, here he was just physically healed. He's very high emotionally. And then he's ostracized and criticized and uh, thrown out of the synagogue. He's probably wondering what's going. Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answers in verse 36. He answered and he said, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he that is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe and he worshipped him. And that, folks, right there, I believe, is a wonderful model for ministry that we need to be sensitive to. We need to be sensitive because we must follow Christ in what he's doing. This, again, this probably is jumping back to that second point that talks about what is Christ-centered ministry. 
Christ-centered ministry is full of compassion. Now, it's very compassionate to heal someone and to give them their sight, but how long does that sight benefit that individual for the rest of his natural life? But he's still lost and dying on his way to hell. He needs something more than his physical sight. He needs to be saved and to be brought into the light of Jesus Christ. And this is what Christ does. He goes back to him and he, he reveals himself plainly as the Son of Man. You have seen him and it is he that is speaking to you. And what is the natural outcome because of that? That simple little verse in verse 38, he said to him, Lord, I believe. And what's the result of believing? Worship. I worship. He worshiped him. Praise the Lord for our heavenly Savior, Jesus Christ, who not only is compassionate, but he has given us a model in which we should follow. Now, this takes time, compassion ministry. I'm really drawing probably from some ideas or, or some things that I shared from the first hour. We talked about in the first hour the uh, pregnancy care center and family counseling center called Florece. And uh, that is just showing us many ways in which we can have compassion on the people of Iquique because, quite frankly, they're a hardened people. And so this has given us wonderful opportunities to be able to share with them, to be able to explain to them who Jesus Christ is, but first of all, to meet their needs as it relates to whatever crisis that is happening. Now, I share that many times the the tip of the spear is with the ladies, but these ladies always have loved ones. They have boyfriends, they have husbands, they have brothers. And so it's not only a ladies' ministry, but it's a family ministry. And so there's other opportunities that we have to meet and to counsel with people as well. And so that's this is what Jesus shows us out of John chapter 9, that we have compassion on people, we meet their needs, we try to come alongside of them, build rapport, help them, and then when the time is right, when we have built relationship and contacts and and walked with them, then when you share the gospel, that is the natural process because now why? They're listening. You have cut through all of that noise that's happening all around us. They believe and they trust that you care for them as an individual, that that you're taking time for them. And when you have an opportunity to share Christ after something like like that, an experience like that, I believe time and time again we will see the results as Christ showed us and as we're seeing in Nikike right now, that people are coming to know the Lord and that is exciting. That is exciting. And so we see there that that is the model for ministry. Well, let's, let's go back. Let me, I got ahead of myself here a little bit, but in the middle part of the of the story, I'm not really, we're going to read, I'll, I'll just summarize this, but as I was reading this portion of the, the story here in John chapter 9, I couldn't help but think that sometimes in our earnestness or our haste and our zeal maybe to serve Christ, sometimes we step on people and we don't mean to perhaps, and then sometimes we just look past people. And this is an example of what we see of the Pharisees. This is what would be um, the the antithesis or the non-example of, of compassionate ministry. What happened here in the middle part of the story? Well, we see here that in verses, uh, after this individual is healed, 
uh, one of the things that happens is his friends come to him. And so his friends, uh, being good friends, I guess they take him to the Pharisees. And so um, verse uh, 12 says, they said to him, uh, they wanted to know who healed him. And he said, well, I, I went to the pool of Siloam and washed. And so I went and washed and received my sight. These are his friends asking him this. And so he's explaining. Verse 12 says, they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked again, asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud in my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And so... The rest of the that middle portion plays out. They eventually call in the parents to verify the testimony. The parents really don't want anything to do with this because they realize that they could be thrown out of the synagogue. And so they and they say he's a he's a, a, a individual of age. Call him back and, and hear his his word. And so they do that. And uh, so they're just going back and forth and back and forth. And there's three I guess principles of uh, what we must be careful about to avoid. Uh, in organized religion. Now, I'm I'm using that term not because I'm saying, you know, we we shouldn't be an organized church, but what I'm saying here is that sometimes in our habits and our traditions, sometimes we forget what it's like to be on that other side of the door as a new person coming in, and we need to make sure that we're not being like the Pharisees. In the way we, and even in the way we think, and the way we present ourselves, and so these principles come out of this passage. There's three dangers that we need to avoid as the church. We need to avoid the danger of valuing the practice more than the person. The individuals that come through our door, we need to see and understand that these are individuals, especially if they're visitors, that they're going to have desperate needs. And they're scared and they're hurting. And we need to show them Jesus Christ. So we need to avoid that in the way we we come across. Uh, we need to make sure that we don't value practice more than the person or conformity more than compassion. We see that in verses 13 through 16. This is what the, the, um, the Pharisees were doing. It's amazing to me that after this man received his sight, they looked right past this individual because what was their comment? He can't be from God. Why? He healed on the Sabbath. That's looking right past this individual that had a glorious display of God's glory placed upon him and could not even muster an ounce of joy for this individual. Danger number two, we, um, we need to be careful that we don't value control more than truth. We've seen this played out in other institutions where people want control and they're willing to go so far as not to uh, admit the truth that's right before their eyes. And we see that was happening to the Pharisees. What was the truth that was right before their eyes? That the Son of Man has come in fullness and glory, born as a man, living among them, working miracles and performing one right in their midst practically. And they did not want to admit that. 
What is the truth in our day and age? As a church, we need to be rallied around uh, compassion for individuals. Individuals are coming in here with, with problems that we never thought we would face. My kids are facing these, in, these situations in their Christian school back in Pennsylvania. We're addressing issues that we never thought we would have to address as parents. But you know what? God's Word addresses them. We cannot be silent as a church thinking and hoping that that does not come through our doors. We have to be ready to embrace people and realize that God's grace will give us the strength and the understanding to minister to people when they walk through our doors. And we need to be looking for those relationships and introducing people to Jesus Christ. So danger number two is that we value control more than truth or authority more than authenticity. And danger number three, we need to be careful that we don't value human institution more than God-honoring transformation. Have you seen a soul transformed in your life, an individual where they have made a complete repentance of lifestyle? It is amazing. It is fantastic. It is wonderful. We must not grow callous to that. We must not allow our, our traditions, our institutions to take away uh, of what God is calling us to do. At the very end of that, this section, the Pharisees, they accuse Jesus of being a sinner in verse 24. They revile this man in verse 28 and they talk down to him. He begins to preach to them. It's amazing the truth that he is saying and he's not even a believer yet. And then, uh, 34, this is the favorite. They accuse the man, they attack his character, and then they kick him out. We're experts at that, aren't we? Character assassination. I trust and pray that that's not the case in the churches of Jesus Christ, that we would be a people called to love individuals, that we would see individuals first. Again, I bring these points up as a matter of reflection, personal reflection, that we don't allow that type of thinking in our lives because that's where it happens first. It penetrates and permeates our lives first. We need to be sensitive and caring and loving so that we would have a genuine faith, that we would be more vigilant to not allow that type of mentality to enter our minds and enter our churches. So quickly now, as we wrap up here, what is Christ-centered ministry? Christ-centered ministry is full of compassion. Jesus saw the individual. We saw that in verses 3 through 7. Every person is valuable. Every person is created in the image of God. We honor God when we value human life. I'm not just talking about the unborn where, and in Floreste where we have an opportunity to, to reach individuals who are thinking about that decision of life or death. Uh, this past year, under the, the Chilean president, Michel Bachelet, they finally... Uh, legalized abortion. It was illegal. It, uh, it was legal, then it became illegal for a number of years, and now it's finally legal again. And so Florese is poised to be able to meet a changing society. We, at first, could not say that we offered post-abortion counseling. We were advised by a lawyer to not do that because that admits guilt it, uh, uh, from the law perspective, from, from a legal perspective. But because... Now, abortion is legal. We can now offer and advertise post-abortion counseling. Now, do you think that gives God the glory? 
I think it does. And so man in his wisdom in thinking to try to copy and imitate others of what is right, God is now going to get the glory because we can now reach not only those who are thinking about abortions, but also advertise and say, as a ministry, we want to help you if you're dealing with guilt in your life. And where does that come from? And why is that there? And did you know that there is a God who has sent his son to die for you and has covered that sin? And that sin is under the blood of Jesus Christ. That's hope. That is hope. That is love. And so that is compassion ministry. Uh, Christ-centered ministry is full of compassion. To see the individual where the needs are. Jesus took time to minister to the blind man. Compassion takes time. Compassion takes time. Jesus has us beat when it comes to ministry, and he could minister in ways that we can't always. But what we can do is, like Jesus does, is take time with individuals and walk with them. So how do we balance having the compassion of Christ with developing uh, developing um, um, relationships in people's lives. Some of you may be saying, this is a, could be a pitfall in my life because I have lots of compassion. I could easily get overwhelmed uh, with something like this. But I, I think even, even in this uh, text, there are some principles. You know, if you're a compassionate person, if you like to deal with individuals, but maybe you kind of get in over your head, you know, even, even there's some things here that we see that Jesus did. Uh, first of all, we know that... Um, that Jesus ministered uh, to the individual that was right in front of him. Who's right in front of you right now? If you're saying, I would like to be more compassionate to somebody, who has God placed in your life that's having some difficulties? You probably don't have to go very far. Who has God placed in your life right now? Compassion also says that we... um, that we want to move people along uh, gradually, step by step, and so we look to uh, we look to give God the glory in every situation. And so, you know, there's there's different things that we can do. We I know we're limited sometimes by our time, but ask yourself where can we minister, and then where can God get the glory? There's probably situations where you're wondering, you know, I'm not so sure about this. This kind of scares me, but. Maybe I ought to say something to this individual. Maybe I ought to offer him, you know, take him out for a cup of coffee or to come over to his home and just tell him I'd like to pray with him. You know, God's going to get the glory in that. And maybe that person would only respond to a one-time opportunity. But maybe if you're willing to pray with that person, that person sees that you genuinely care for them. And we we see here that... um, that uh, this is the the definition of Christ-centered ministry. We need to understand that our time is limited as well. Each of us has a certain amount of days in this world, and then we're gone. It's interesting that at the beginning of this of this um, chapter, Christ makes that reference. We should have an urgency about us as well. Christ says in verse three, "It is what at that time day." Later on, he says that there's a change coming. Night is coming. And what is the result of the night? When no man can work. I'm not quite sure what Jesus is referring to there. I'm not sure if he's talking about a, 
eschatological timetable where there's God's plan is taking away and Christ, as we understand it, will receive His church up in glory. And then, and then after the tribulation period that takes place here on the earth, He will come and reign on the earth for a thousand years. I'm not sure if He's talking about that. He could be talking about the fact that every man has a certain amount of days on this earth when after that period, you can no longer work for God. You can no longer have the opportunity to bring glory um, through your life into this world because of what you are doing. I think that's, I think that the, the latter is, is the correct a way of looking at that. That we only have a certain amount of time and so we need to be busy, we need to be urgent, we need to have a fervency about our lives. Christ-centered ministry is gospel-centered ministry as well. There is compassion and that gets attention, but we always must come back to the gospel. Verses 35 through 41 talk about this. We must explain that Jesus Christ, uh, to those who are listening... Um, it is Jesus Christ himself that gave us this example. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Next question was what? Who is he? Jesus said, it's me. Do, do you believe in me? Now, after having been just healed by Jesus, that is very easy to do. If he can take care of your physical needs and miraculously heal you, we understand that Jesus Christ takes care of the spiritual side of our lives as well. Compassion moves people along, but we see here that but ultimately compassion is gospel-centered ministry. And we see the response of the individual. We see that uh, when um, the seed is planted into the soil of someone's life and then it's nurtured and watered, over time, it's going to bear fruit. Now, in this case, it was instantaneous almost, and we could say. Uh, but I believe that Jesus understands our limitations, our weaknesses, our fears, and he's willing, he's going to be patient with us. And he's going to urge us and spur us on to good works. We must pray that God will draw others to himself and reveal Christ to them. This is, this is what happens. I talked about that in Galatians uh, chapter 1. This is my testimony. This is your testimony. This is how God saves individuals. We need to pray. If you want to pray the prayer for the lost, pray this prayer. Dear God, I pray that this person, whoever it may be, that you would reveal Jesus Christ in their lives, that they would understand and realize that they need a, a, a Jesus as their personal Savior. To do the works of God as Jesus commanded, we must be like him, compassionate toward people and ready to pro- proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's glory is not refrained nor limited by the sin in this world. Praise the Lord. God will pursue His glory even if it means pushing past physical limits into the miraculous. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is still performing miracles today? The beautiful thing is is that we can take part in that. We can have a, a, a part in God's work in this world today. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Therefore, while Christ is in the world, hope exists for mankind to be called out of darkness into fellowship with God. Christ's presence in the world today is represented through the church. Only the church is labeled the body of Christ. Only upon the church resides the authority of the Great Commission to go and make disciples. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You folks have an awesome commission. You folks have a high calling of Jesus Christ. You have a wonderful location because you have the world at your doorsteps. And you have an opportunity to invite people in, to train them, and then to send them off as that natural process happens in our country where students and individuals come to train and to learn at the university and then they're gone. A lot of times that happens in Iquique as well. We have a very transit um, a ministry there where unfortunately people uh, are not there long term. And so we have sent people off and you have sent me off and I represent you in, in a small way in South America, my family and I. And so we want to say thank you for that. And I am praying for you. I am praying that uh, even the best days still lie ahead for this church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for um, your goodness to us. We thank you for uh, your mercy. We thank you, Father, that uh, we can see your glory in this world. We thank you, Father, that we see it through the rising of the sun, the setting of the sun, through the natural creation but then we can see your glory when you reach down and touch people's lives. And most of all, Lord, we thank you that we can have a part in that wonderful ministry. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done. I would pray for this church. I would pray that um, um, you would continue to bless. I pray, that, Father, that you would uh, just help the leadership at this time as they look for a new pastor. I would pray, Father, that uh, you would ordain that process. Father, that you would... Um, allow the folks to have confidence in those that they've selected in the search committee. And Father, as a step of faith, as it always is, as you call a new pastor, I would pray that you would lead that right individual to take and uh, shepherd this flock. And so we'll say thank you for what you're going to do. We thank you, Lord, that this church, though without an under-shepherd, has still the, the true shepherd. And so we say thank you for that. We ask, Lord, that you would receive all the honor and glory today, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.